0: Good afternoon again, everybody. Thank you for joining us at today's Webinx Talks event. Uh, I'm Andrew Savage, Business Development Manager with Weathertex, and I'll soon be introducing uh, Ashley Morris, CEO of Corio Proprietary Limited to discuss circular economies and the built environment. But before we get started, we'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands and waters on which we live across Australia, especially the wurrung people, traditional owners of the land on, on which Weathertex is located. So now let's welcome our guest, Ashley. Ashley Morris, welcome. Um, I'll just give you a bit of Ashley's background. Uh, Ashley is as co-founder and CEO of Corio. Ashley Morris assists organizations to transition to circular economy principles. Ashley received the Lord Mayor's Young Business Person of the Year Award and has been recognized as a global top 100 corporate social responsibility influential leader for 2020. Ashley is a Prime Minister Scholar, an Australian ASEAN Emerging Leader, and an invitee to the 73rd United Nations General Assembly. Having presented to two Australian Prime Ministers, Ashley has also represented Australia as a panelist and speaker at the 2019 World Circular Economy Forum, alongside the former European Commissioner for the Environment. Wow, that's quite a bio, Ashley, so welcome.
1: Thank you for having me. And yes, sorry, that was a very long bio for you to have to read out. Oh, we and... edited
0: it, though. There was so much more we could have said.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah. It's a, I've had a very interesting journey. I'm extremely passionate about this topic, and I think the bio, my bio speaks to that. However, I, I do um, believe that a lot of people are really caring about this topic as well now, and I'm happy to share insight into it today as well.
0: Fantastic. Well, it's great to have you here. So let's get started. Ashley, can you just explain what is circular economy? What does it mean?
1: So again, this is the number one question we get asked at the moment, you know, what is it and what will it mean for me and my business? And I I think the simplest way we can, I want to explain it for people today and then layer that understanding through some examples is that our current economy is take, make waste and nature and people serve that. When we talk about a circular economy, it's an economy that's now serving people and nature. So a circular economy, it is an economic model and has three simple principles that are extremely logical. The first is we need to design out waste and pollution. The second, we need to keep products and materials at their highest value for longer. And the third principle is we need to regenerate natural systems. We now know as a society, we've gone past the point of just doing less bad we need to do more good. So the circular economy is a mechanism that's going to enable us to do that. We want to restore and regenerate our natural systems and we need to address waste. And we'll do that by new strategies to keep those products and materials in use for longer.
0: Well, that makes sense. And um, are there particular industries leading the way in the circular economy world, particularly those associated with construction and built environments?
1: Yeah, I, I actually think the property development sector is really taking hold of the concept of a circular economy. And I think that's driven by a number of um, key reasons, both risk-based and cost-based, but also a lot of opportunity, new commercial models, etc. We're seeing in the property development sector, maybe to draw it to as some examples, we're seeing them explore, you know, product to service transitions. So no longer owning assets like your cooling infrastructure, but actually getting that on a service-based lease. But they're where the owners incentivize, particularly the manufacturer, to keep it working at its most efficient rate possible, extending its life, making sure you're designing out any of those hazardous materials that go into it in the first place. We're also seeing mining and metals companies. That market is probably more dynamic than any other I work in. I work with most of the Australia's large mining entities or global entities. So Rio Tinto, BHP, Fortescue, you know, looking at copper, aluminium iron ore that goes, to make, goes into make steel, of course. I'm seeing that sector particularly take the circular economy by both hands and really drive it forward into their site-based operations to reduce carbon footprint, but also to make sure they're value-adding their product, making sure they're reducing their waste. It's a, quite a wasteful industry. So we're seeing new technologies from those types of mining companies where they're producing metals out of waste, going back and remining tailings, waste rock, etc which if you think about it, right at the top of our supply chains, if they're able to put into the market a very low carbon product or metal, it has such a value value add downstream into the supply chain. So that sector for me is doing a lot of great work, a lot of leadership, it's really asking itself some big questions. And then I'm also seeing not with every water entity or water treatment authority, but the water space is really exciting as well. Um, we're seeing w- water uh, entities they're not not just now treating sewerage and and creating potable water. They're also detecting COVID and drug usage. And it's a whole raft of new business possibilities coming out of that sector. And for circular economy, they're also looking at how they extract more value out of their materials that are coming into their operations, like nitrogen, for example. So I think we're seeing a lot of leadership across a lot of sectors, but if I was to highlight, they would be my top three, water, mining and metals and actually property developers.
0: Yeah, I heard um, a couple of weeks ago now that the Tomago aluminium smelter has made a commitment to only use renewable energy by 2030. And I understand yes. that they are the biggest consumer of uh, electrical energy in New South Wales. So that was a really good step along these lines, isn't it?
1: Oh, absolutely. And and Rio Tinto who own the other three smelters uh, in Australia, they, they're also transitioning across to renewable energy and that again it if we just look at this the smelters in our country that produce aluminium they consume between 15 to 20 percent of australia's entire energy load one industry one commodity and they do supply about 70 percent of our domestic market but again we we're putting out a, a metal not a refined product that's often going to be done over offshore so there's a lot more we could do to value add keep manufacturing here in australia But Andrew, that example of Tomago is what we're seeing across the industry where we are decarbonizing through decarbonizing the grid, but also direct assets like the smelters. But they're also recovering secondary materials, reprocessing them, which also reduces carbon footprint overall.
0: And it's interesting that this is kind of being led by industry. There's not a great deal of government incentive right now at a federal level, at least. Um, And we see that the European Union is now basically starting to tax um, high carbon footprint industries around the world so if we want to remain competitive we just have to Mm. go down this path and and that's a cynical economic motivation the moral obligation that we have to be cleaner i think is all is 10 times probably more important but it's very 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 interesting so um, can you provide actually an example of a company which is doing particularly well with their own circular economy
1: yeah well I had the fortune of being out of work with WeatherTechs, actually, and on a project we did with one of Australia's leading property developers. And I thought today I could share some of the outcomes from that because it's the first time we have we measured in Australia circularity within key product manufacturing supply chains, looking from product manufacture all the way through to what happened at end of life to that product. So I thought the best way to do this is actually to share an, a diagram of the supply chain and what we uncovered. So if I can, I can't do full screen, but can everyone see that? Okay, I'll move that to the side.
0: Uh, yes, that it's, nice quite, it's quite clear. Thank you.
1: Great. So what what we look at when we talk about circularity at a product level is making sure that the primary input to manufacture the product is becoming is coming from a renewable source where possible, and if not possible, making sure that it has recovered content in there to the maximum percentage possible as well. So that's the first indicator we look for for circularity. What are the material inputs to make the product? And as you can see here on the diagram with WeatherTechs, we will be able to identify that they are sourcing their primary material input, which is timber from certified forest trees here in New South Wales, but they're also inferior trees, which would otherwise be treated as waste. So that for us and timber being a renewable source of material is a very powerful indicator for circularity as a one point of measurement. So for us, we've seen that there's a logistics inflow into WeatherTech's production facility in New South Wales. And then we really dived in through the circularity assessment to understand what was happening at the point of manufacture. What other materials, energy, water, etc., was flowing through the facility and, and how, how did we look at that through a circularity lens? So we do look at input-output flows, the use of renewable energy, and we do draw an average to make that uh, calculation and quantification of circularity percentage. So for us, what we understood is the timbers going in uh, and there is a couple of offcuts that come from that process. But as you can see, they they flow up and some of those offcuts are used to create briquettes and then go on to create energy on site. Again, we would class that as a, a renewable source of energy because it is coming from timber. And that covers about that provides about 7% Andrew I think we were correct in that for the production facility. What we did see was a huge amount of water being used to be honest, but a brilliant way in this factory that it was being on point of manufacture where it was being circulated numerous times up to 14 times. Then discharged into a bore, and it was also used for irrigation of the surrounding uh, land that's for us is a lot, lot more aligned with the regenerative principle. So that resource is maximized and it goes on to contribute additional value back into the natural landscape. So really powerful, even though there was a substantial amount used, it was maximized and kept continuing to create value and then it was drawn back into the operation through the bore when it was captured. And that you can see that here, it was used to irrigate the trees in the aquifer.
0: And the only uh, material hmm. in that water, sorry to interrupt, but the only material in that water is sawdust, which feeds the trees in the forest and then goes back down into the aquifer and then goes through the cycle again.
1: Again, which is, which is remarkable for us. We, we did assess six product, five materials and that had six product manufacturers, WeatherTechs, you're an incredible company, one for your responsiveness, your transparency, but also enabling us to really look at the supply chain and, and, and also work with you in this process and inform what was happening to the, your material and products uh, after it was put into a development project. Um, and so I'll speak to that side of the, the diagram shortly. But there, what we also uncovered was 97.5% of all the waste on site was repurposed. Again, some through to renewable energy production, other into other products, the Rubik's uh, chipboards, some of it being sold on to another company, B S Timbers. And the remaining residual, which was a very small amount going through to clean away, um, some of which was then recovered as well into like your timber pallets. This is for all of the things that come to site. So, pallets, packaging related materials uh, for the facility. A lot of that is recovered and recycled, and a very small margin going into landfill. If we do look at what happens now, WeatherTech uh, sends their product through to their distributor, and I believe Bunnings is one of your largest distributing partners. It is sent. We looked at the packaging that it was sent in, and we also looked at when it reached the development. What happened from there? So we went to site, of course. We looked at all of the skips. Most of the time, there's only very small offcuts at the point of a manufacturing of a home or building of a home. But for those parts that are cut off, we followed them right the way downstream. And we were able to identify that when it's clearly visible, because I'm going to be very honest, our resource recovery for C and D materials, construction and demolition materials is not extremely sophisticated, a lot of it's done by eye at a skip level, Or where where a skip was evident that it had quite a lot of timber and not treated timber. It can be recovered and is often and most of the time mulched and that mulch is then sold on to landscaping uses, particularly within to government contracts. So we're able to identify that the vast majority 75% was finding its way there with a, and this is quite crude, but the other 25% was finding its way to landfill and again it's hard to give very confident numbers here in in any type of material flow, but um, we were confident because we did follow this right the way through the supply chain and work with all of the actors in the journey. But overall, what this showed us when we put it through the Circular Transitions Indicator tool, so this is a publicly uh, available tool for organisations to use. It was developed by the World Building, uh, their acronym is huge for the World Building Council. Uh, It's a bigger acronym than that. (laughs) KPMG and it's been tested and used by industry. We use that tool and it gave WeatherTech a circularity score of 86%. And we also brought our circular economy maturity assessment through at Corio to this process, which looks at more of the qualitative indicators of a company's uh, direction toward circular economy maturity from Ad hoc all the way through to what we would call systemic so it's intentional in the business, you have key strategies you have measurement approaches through key performance indicators, etc. But we also really we look at carbon footprint circularity and carbon are very closely linked, we have to work on circularity if we're actually going to achieve our climate related targets as as a world population. And so it's important for us to that we had a verified carbon footprint calculation and. Uh, weather has theirs complete through the global green tag and and they have an environmental product declaration and all of that data that we were able to also analyze so it's just a i think obviously we're on this chat with weather but this is a really impressive example about what do we when we look at circularity what do we mean and what we mean is we're looking end-to-end looking at the entire material flow and what materials are being used inputs and outputs And how are they contributing value across environmental and economic realms, as well as we consider social aspects as well? So I'll stop sharing there, but I think that was a really good example.
0: That's a fantastic explanation. And um, just just while we're on that circularity score of 86 Mm percent, compared to say with even other industries that are manufacturing, uh, is 86 percent a a good good score?
1: It's very high. I won't speak to the specific company, but there is a a major carpet manufacturer in our country. They are doing a lot at their facility at the point of manufacture. But what was happening downstream was extremely linear in terms of it was just going to waste large volumes of it, no recovery at all, at any point in every every state and territory, because we looked at more broadly what was happening across states and territories. So even though they might have scored well in it, that particular aspect, overall circularity was low. And so text, out of the five products and materials we, we analyzed, WeatherTech you had the highest score, and it is a high score for industry. And that's largely because your material input is renewable salt resource and you're maximizing all of your resources through your operations. And any of those that are leaking out as byproducts are also being captured and valued with only a very small proportion ever finding their way towards a landfill route where they contribute no value any further.
0: Wow. Oh, that's terrific. And um, I guess this leads into our next question. Um, Can you um, maybe highlight some of the industries which will have the biggest challenges when it comes to transitioning into circular economy?
1: Yes, I think the major industry that's going to be challenged is waste, our waste providers, because their business model is built on having large volumes of waste to manage. However, I think waste companies' role has been largely logistics. They move material from one point to another. It's just that depository point that is making us class those materials as waste. They're being put back in the ground or incinerated, um, which is not not a valuable solution for our economy. And I think some of the global statistics we have on this are pretty, pretty horrific if I'm to be honest. We have 91% of all raw materials introduced into the global economy being wasted after a single use that's everything, and this is analyzed year on year by a company called circle economy out of the Netherlands. So what I want to encourage for people online listening to this is that that's a bad statistic, but that's a actually a massive opportunity for us economically environmentally and, of course, socially to unlock the value of that 91% of materials but to your question, waste companies will find this hard because it goes against their business model. They want waste and they want large volumes of it so they can move that material, get a service for picking it up and get a a, a clip off the fee for depositing it somewhere. And today that somewhere is not a very high value solution.
0: And I understand that uh, up until very recently, a lot of Australian waste was getting exported overseas and some of those markets have since shut their doors to us and I understand a lot of recycling is actually getting stockpiled all over the country so it's a big problem.
1: It, yeah, it absolutely is it's a big problem but it's a big opportunity mm. we have large incumbents in terms of the waste companies operating in this country but I also think they they are under a huge amount of pressure to perform better to provide better solutions and I think what we're seeing from industry is such strong leadership asking more questions about where is the product going if a waste company is providing you a service it's no longer good enough just to send a data sheet back that just says we we picked up one ton of general waste the questions are now where did that go and to what value and and i think that's really driving a lot of innovation in the sector across resource recovery and i think it's a great change and we need it and we need to move beyond landfill and just creating the next sort of step up the the ladder or hierarchy of waste management to incineration we can do a a whole lot more than that
0: and of course incineration adds to the greenhouse gas issues as well generally doesn't it? especially if you're burning plastics and things like that
1: it does yeah
0: yeah so there's got to be some value in that waste and i guess a lot of it um also is about sorting it out in the beginning and you know not making it a big job for somebody to try and Um, declutter all the waste and work out where the plastics are and where the papers are and so on. And I believe in Japan, um, at Mm. at outside events, they'll have up to 30 different uh, types of waste recycling containers that you can put your, your plastics in one and your papers in one and your food waste in one. It might be taking it to the other extreme, but, hey, if they can do it there, why can't we do it here? Um, So I guess that segues into the next question. Which governments globally are leading the charge in promoting these types of ideas?
1: I think the governments leading the charge are probably no surprise to the people tuning in, which is the European nations, uh, the Nordic countries. They are absolutely driving this agenda forward. Europe has their Green Deal, and I think, Andrew, you mentioned it before, there are some carbon uh, or climate measures, and one of those being the carbon border adjustment mechanism. So they are putting a cost on those producing high carbon or carbon intensive products. So the Euro- European nations, the Nordic countries, absolute leadership. We see the government of uh, Netherlands, they have a 100% circular economy target for the entire country and economy. And then very stringent targets to be achieved across their key economic sectors. And they're going to try to achieve that by 2050. But we're seeing that come through in a lot of other countries as well, and some of our closer and neighboring countries, including Taiwan. They have a circular economy promotion plan. We also see in Korea, they have a resource security and circular economy policy as well. And China, this is this is the 14th time in their five year plan that they have a strong focus on the circular economy. So they are very much ahead in terms of thinking about industrial material flows and how do they capture value in the broader global economy being a manufacturing powerhouse, but also now focusing on how they capture materials coming from other parts of the world or global supply chains, and they're decarbonizing their primary industries that facilitate resource recovery. So there's a lot happening a lot of leadership, and I think it's fair to say that we've in here in Australia, we, we have a lot of catching up to do in, in some areas.
0: Yeah, I like your attitude, though, saying we have the opportunities here, don't we? I mean, really, that's, yeah. you can think of it in a negative way, or you can think of it in a positive way. So um, yeah. let's hope that um, our leaders start to seize on these opportunities. And and speaking of that, what broadly speaking, what sort of economic, uh, economic opportunities do circular economy principles offer, just broadly speaking?
1: Yeah, well, a lot of our big four consultancies have recently undertaken an, that analysis, the evaluation of circular economy and what it will mean for the Australian economy. So Coopers was the most recent uh, consultancy to undertake this work. They valued the circular economy at $2 trillion over the next 20 years. That's a whole lot of money and also they have looked at carbon pollution abatement and we can draw down carbon by 165 million tons year on year here in australia if we transition and adopt the principles of circularity so it's got a big big value to it um and also in a massive environmental gain which we know we need
0: yeah and more and more companies are shifting to a carbon neutral position yes. um you know which i think again it's industry leading the way to a large extent i know that state governments uh, putting certain incentives in place, um, even if the federal government hasn't been quite so proactive. But, you know, it's, it's interesting that industry in Australia really is leading the charge um, along these lines. So, um, yeah, um, let's see where it takes us. And, um, Ashley, how do you think that circular economies will influence our future economically and environmentally. I mean, another broad question, I know, but where do you see us maybe in 20 years time, um, along the lines of, you know, adopting more and more of of, of these types of principles?
1: I think we're going to see a huge acceleration. Um, I don't think anyone can predict what's going to happen in 20 years time, so I won't try to, but I, I do think in the short term we're going to see a massive acceleration towards the adoption of circularity into supply chains manufacturing government policy because it makes sense economically environmentally and certainly socially economies and companies that are adopting the circular economy have greater resilience because a lot of it is about value adding onshoring manufacturing technology enabling evidence based you know solutions and direction you know, it's really harnessing all of these emerging trends or fields of work and bringing them together because you're, you're fundamentally looking at that system. Again, the weather text example, it's end-to-end thinking. And when you think like that and you have awareness of what's going on around you, you can start to strategically link things together, which overall builds greater strength in the system, greater resilience, and also value creation. And that's a big thing. It's not just about the economics. It's about a broader conversation on value. And I think the Australian economy is so well-placed. We are a small uh, population. We have the quite wealthy as a nation as well. And I think we're extremely innovative. And I find a lot of our innovation coming out of our regional areas. It's how we tap into what we already have um, and then bring it together and strengthen it. I don't think it's, it's hard. I think it's logical and it's smart.
0: It sure is. And, and, you know, as you say, the opportunities are there. It requires a bit of innovative thinking. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's going to there's going to be economic uh, opportunities um, yeah, right in front of us uh, when we look at our carbon footprint, our, our waste streams and what we do with those. And,
1: mm-hmm. you know,
0: as, as an individual, I'm very proud to be working for a company that um, has a, a very strong mandate around the environment and, I have to say it's the most environmentally um, friendly, uh, if that's the right term, company that I've ever worked for. And, uh, you know, it does make a, a big difference to feel like, you know, the company that you're working for is making a contribution. So um, so how do people learn more about the topic um, if they want to learn more about circular economy, Ashley?
1: There are a number of places you can learn about the circular economy. Some of you can take free courses online uh, called MOOCs. Uh, There's some great ones. The Ella MacArthur Foundation is a fantastic global resource as well. They have a Circular Economy Learning Center, and they are the global thought leader here in Australia. There, our universities are starting to offer courses, but we've also been offering a masterclass on the circular economy for the past three years. Uh, We're up to our ninth delivery of the masterclass, so it's a foundational course about okay, what are the fundamental principles, business models and enablers to the circular economy. And we take you through a number of case studies. So if you do want to look at our offering as well, you can look through our website. I'm at our masterclass course and there's one coming up in October.
0: And that's coreo.com.au. C-O-R-E-O.com.au. Look, I dealt with uh, Margaret from Coreo when we were doing the survey and um, found her a joy to to work with. And, you know, it was a really interesting exercise. And I have to say, I knew very little about the topic until we were approached by you guys. So uh, it was yeah. really fascinating to get involved. I really enjoyed it. So thank you so much for your time today, Ashley. We know how busy you are. And we really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. Um, we do have a question here from Jared Wilson. Um, do you know of which Australian political party that is embracing circular economy into their policies?
1: I think... Um i'm based in queensland and i have a really good working relationship with our labor government here but i also have a very good working relationship and see circular economy leadership coming out of the liberal party as well and of course the greens are, you know broadly supportive of this uh these set of principles as well i think this goes beyond political boundaries or um, tensions because it's again it's just logical principles i don't think we can um draw it draw it down to a political discourse in that way, because I don't think anyone can refute that these just make sense for our country and our economy. And that's kind of where we try to focus our efforts. But I'm seeing leadership, New South Wales, they released their too good to waste policy position in 2018. Queensland government's invested in two major circular economy programs, which our organization's been involved in. I mean, we're also seeing Victoria release their circular economy policy, um, ACT, Leading a lot of work as well at the moment, and South Australia, of course, are having a mixture of programs and also policy positions on the circular economy, so it's coming through across all different states and territories in their different political leadership.
0: It's almost one of those, the environment and issues associated with the environment, I believe, really should be bipartisan across everyone yeah. it, it, major infrastructure could also be bipartisan but there needs to be some policies which are above politics and i think the future yes. of the planet for our children our grandchildren and so on is is the biggest yeah. problem of our challenge of our time
1: thank you andrew for being more articulate on that i meant bipartisan <laughs> <it's like laughs> is the word i was looking for
0: <laughs> yeah oh no no no, no. Yeah. i wouldn't dream to say that i'm more articulate than you ashby <laughs> i'm very impressed um so mariki if i said your name correctly mariki baker has asked Um, So what's the potential and associated issues for manufacturers collecting their products post demolition of buildings um, and reusing them and could purchases of materials and products write this collection request into the purchasing contract or invoice?
1: I think this this would be product and material specific. In some instances, say we, we work for the mining companies, as I mentioned earlier. Now, when copper has reached its use in a product or a, a, even a home, it's very valuable and a mining company likely has the infrastructure to reprocess that and keep it at value and re, redistribute it into supply chain. Now, if we're talking about something that's maybe lower value and it's been compromised whilst it's been in use or deconstructed or demolished out of a home, there's a question mark about, a hey, is that still valuable for our organisation? Do we have the skills and capability? And above and beyond that, You know, are we going to create more impact by trying to revert utilize reverse logistics and bring it back, and I think what we have found through other take back schemes is that they can often be more impactful because of the tyranny of distance in our country. So for us it's about we would encourage to look at the system in which your materials are flowing into where when are they reaching end of use and what what condition are they in. And what is around that uh, point of use, is there other companies, you could partner with that can take a role in recreating that product into something else, or using it as a material additive. So it's very specific, but I do companies are putting these specifications in. They're gonna be requests, I'm sure, going forward, especially for those companies that do want it back because they're well-placed to get it back and have the infrastructure to support reprocessing and recovery. Um, in other cases, I think we're gonna see um, a lot more downstream requirements about recovery and evidence of what happens to it.
0: Is it already happening in parts of Europe where appliance manufacturers, for instance, do have to take back their appliances at end of life?
1: Yeah, and we we have similar schemes like Mobile Master here. Like, mm. you know, we have the it's the national television and computer recycling scheme. So our whoever's importing over a certain amount of products are required to pay a percentage of the recovery fee for this and evidence that their material, their products are being recovered. So we have it in Australia, but it's much more advanced in Europe And they do include the price for that in the actual sales price. So it is coming through, um, but there's going to be a big push for transparency on that.
0: Sure. Well, yeah, I mean, it's got to be the way forward. Um, Thank you again, Ashley. It was absolutely fascinating and and one that I I enjoyed uh, immensely. So we really appreciate your time. Thank you again, Ashley, for your time. We really appreciate you being here. And thank you to everybody uh, who attended today's um, session. I'm Andrew Savage, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.